The International Association for Near-Death Studies presents NDE Radio, a weekly exploration of near-death experiences and similar encounters with the other side. Now, here's your host, Lee Whitting. What can we learn from a serious illness? When sickness lays us low, should we simply hope to recover our previous lifestyle? Or should we gain lessons that only the recognition of our own mortality can teach us? Welcome to NDE Radio, brought to you by IANS, the International Association for Near-Death Studies. I'm your host, Lee Whitting. Death has a way of bringing into sharp focus the more important things in life. This is the lesson that Devorah Power learned in December of 2013 after a near-death experience from a lingering pneumonia. Devorah had been awarded an all-expense-paid cruise to Belize, Honduras, and Cozumel. And several weeks prior to leaving, she experienced flu-like symptoms, but she dragged herself out of bed and boarded the boat anyway. That decision nearly killed her, and yet her story of illness taught her firsthand the loving touch of God's hand the angels surrounding her, and most importantly, those lessons learned as she peeked beyond the veil. Most of all, she learned there's no time like the present. Devorah, welcome to NDE Radio. Yes, I'm here. I okay. <laughs> Devorah, your little book titled Now is Your Time describes in detail your worsening on board pneumonia. So I'd like you to skip to the point you were uh, life-flighted to Methodist Texan Hospital and, and pick up the story from there. Sure. Uh, we got there around 3.30 in the morning and, um, of course, was admitted uh, to the second floor, which was a step-down unit from the intensive care unit not far away. The doctor on call uh, came in to check me in and did his normal routine went home and said to himself, this lady, I will probably not see her in the morning. And mm. so he said he could not sleep, and he prayed until it was time for him to come back to the hospital to make his early morning round. Uh, before he got back, he did order me in, into intensive care. I wasn't hardly in my room yet. When he got there, called my husband out, and as a registered nurse, I knew that was not good for a doctor to call a family member out of the room. Uh, he showed my husband my x-ray and said, honestly, he didn't know how I was alive and that I may have to be put on life support. Um, and that story I had related that he had gone home, couldn't sleep, and prayed all, all morning because I got there in the morning. Uh, didn't think I was going to be there when I got there. Uh, it was uh, determined, uh, rather than put me on life support, uh, I would be put on CPAP, which I have a small case of claustrophobia. Uh, so that was not an easy thing for me to have on. But I struggled and I was, became my own life coach and told myself I had to do whatever it took to keep myself alive. Um, I had a great-grandson that was going to be born in March, and I wanted to be around for that. And so anyway, um, I... Um, just uh, was laying there, and um, throughout the night, I um, was um, trying to sleep and could not sleep because hands kept coming on my body. And every time the hands came, 
I would look to see who was there, and no one was there, uh, which was very puzzling to me. Again, being a nurse, I thought, okay, I'm on a lot of um, medication. I might be just having a hallucination. And so I would just relax and pray myself back to sleep while I fought with the CPAP. Um, during that particular night, I remember taking the CPAP off to um, just give myself a normal uh, cessation of breathing. That way I could uh, actually fight against the fear of feeling suffocated. Mm-hmm. Um, and anyway, um, I would keep it off until it would start beeping because if it started beeping, then the nurses would come in and know that I had it off, which when I did that, my oxygenation level would drop. And so anyway, I went back to sleep. Again, the hands came several times, several times. I was praying, what is, what is this? What is what's going on? And the next time I woke up, I saw three, three angels standing at the foot of my bed. Um, they were large, um, men-like beings. Uh, there was no wings. They just looked very militant in their glistening white, I guess, robes of royalty, um, very regal looking. Um, their features were just man-like is how, the only way I can explain it. They were staring at my, my life. They were looking at the life force in me, my heart beating, my chest breathing. They were not directly looking into my eyes, and none of the angels were touching me. Um, I realized that there was more than the three standing at the foot of my bed. I was My bed was surrounded, and the way that I knew that was because there was a commotion going on in the room, like behind them, whispers of excitement. Uh, it was very, it was, the sense that I got was that there was just a lot of excitement in the room which made me very, very curious, and I wanted to see uh, what the excitement was all about. And that's when I realized my bed was surrounded with angels because I had to lift up out of my body, which I believe my spirit lifted out of my body so I could see over their shoulders and past mm. their shoulders to the commotion that was behind them. And um, that's when I saw two women, two women with long, dark hair, very youthful, Again, I didn't see their features very, very clearly. I just got the sense that that was my mother and my sister who had passed on in 2012. Mom had passed on in 2009. And with all of this scene, I just felt this immense peace, like my, my life was being protected. I had divine protection as if divine bodyguards all around me. And it didn't really register that I was that close to death at the time. It was after that I realized that they were there, my family was there, to receive me back home. I did realize, though, out of the right-hand side of my perception, my um, right in the right-hand corner, there seemed to be kind of like a dark, black-like film. I don't, I don't know how to explain it other than... What it represented to me was death. So I was very, very close to death, and um, the angels were there to guard my life. I felt like angels have guarded my life my entire life. So that wasn't very new, but to actually see them, that was new. That's something you don't see every day. 
And then I went back to sleep, very peaceful. I felt very loved. I felt very peaceful. I felt like I was in good hands. Everything was okay. And and when I saw that, it just brought up so much courage and strength for me to handle now the CPAP. This was my part that I had to do that, you know, I had to overcome this fear of the feelings of suffocation. And so I went back to sleep. It wasn't very long after that. The hands came back. I uh, came back several times. I, I'm an intercessor, so I continued to pray. Uh, at one point, I actually got a little mad and uh, at the Heavenly Father and said, please, I'm pretty much being demanding now. Tell me what these hands are all about, because this was just an unusual sensation. And um, because every time I woke up, I thought for sure I would see a respiratory therapist or a nurse or someone in the room actually touching me. That's how Mm. it felt. And what came to me was that these were the prayers of the people who wanted to be with me, who were praying for my life to be spared. Their prayers, like hands, were coming and being laid on me uh, so that I would be healed, like healing hands. And that's Mm. pretty much it. Wow. Now, when you say um, you felt there was a dark veil like death, was it was it a personified the way the angels were? Did you feel like it was a being, or was it just a, a, a dark place that you could go? It was some type of an entity. Um, I also also uh, described it like a dark cloud, like just like um, a dark veil. Um, I guess it's just the you know, when you read in the scriptures, uh, though I walk through the valley of the shadow mm-hmm. of death, I will fear no evil. It just felt like a place where it was like a transitional place. Like I needed to, if I was going to get to the other side to be with my family, it was going to be a veil that I needed to walk through. Because uh, right. I, I actually felt like I had uh, entered through a veil um, a very thin veil to get to the place where the angels in my family were. It was like so, um, what's the right word? It was like as if you were stepping through a veil, like if you went through someone's room or home or rushed on and you had to like push back mm-hmm. a veil to get where you were going. It was it's that trans- simple. It's that translucent, translucent curtain that we live with that keeps us from seeing the other side. Exactly. Sounds like to me. Exactly. Uh, now, do you did when you rose out of your body and looked over the angels and saw your mom and sister? Did you feel like they were calling you, or uh, no, or were they just all. there to in case you in case you died, they would be there for you? It was kind of like the welcoming committee. You know, it was like um, as like this weekend, I gave my husband a surprise party. So it was like someone was everybody knew that person was coming. Maybe the person that was coming didn't know. Like, you know, I knew it was close to death. But, um, yeah, it was kind of sort of like that. You know, you, you, you get to a place and everybody says, surprise, you know. <laughs> That's a great analogy. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like that one. Um, uh, Devorah is a Hebrew name. And I'm wondering, um, could you tell us a little about your religious upbringing and background? Sure. I um, was born in New Orleans uh, to Lucille and Donald Power. I'm the eldest of seven daughters and one brother. He was the caboose. And mm-hmm. mom named me Deborah. She named me Deborah after the Deborah in 
uh, judges in the Bible. Deborah the judge, Deborah the warrior, Deborah the wife. And uh, at a very early age, I became like her right-hand uh, man type of person. Uh, she had so many babies. Um, we were raised Catholic. And mm-hmm. so mom needed a lot of help when I was growing up. So I took on a mother figure very early in life, took on a lot of responsibilities. Um, I remember um, being very young. And back in that time, uh, it, it was no big thing to send your child, your, your six, five, six-year-old, to the grocery store to go get milk or whatever was needed at the house. And so um, I remember traveling probably about three or four blocks to the Catholic Church uh, on Canal Street in New Orleans to just go for confession, because as a Catholic, uh, you, you had to go to confession once a week, yes. confess your sins to the priest. And I remember being very, very religious, very little, very early, and uh, coming out of that church that day and God smiling at me. And so from a very small age, I remember having a very intimate relationship with my Creator. Mm. So, um, and I had several um, incidences as a child. I would see things that I'll think, well, maybe children do see because, you know, they want their parents to come in because they're seeing things. And I think we are, when we're younger, and at certain times in our life, we ought, there are times when we can see through the veil. And sometimes the things that we see can be scary, and sometimes things can be quite glorious. Mm. Now, you've described uh, prayer in your case as a laying on of hands. And I, I want to ask you, how do you suppose prayer actually works? Is the prayer motivating God to heal you, or do you feel that the prayers themselves or reflect the energy, you know, that your friends and family were sending to you directly? In other words, was it their hands being laid on you, or was it God's hands? I believe um, it was a combination of all of that. I believe the life force energy that actually gives us the actual breath to breathe, to be alive, which comes from the divine place, which comes from the divine force, energy, creator, um, is in all of us. And I think that we, and this is just my thought, but I do think we have a lot of power to choose if we want to stick around or if we want to go on. And I think if when we come into agreement with one another that, hey, I want this person to stay, I think that's quite powerful, and I believe that's when healings happen, miracles. Um, and then there's times when it's just our time to go. You know, we've come here, we did what we were supposed to do, and you now it's time to go back to the source. I've noticed as a chaplain in the hospital that when people are prayed for or people have faith in God themselves, that they seem to get, they seem to recover faster. They, you know, people with similar diseases one with faith and one without. The person with faith will leave the hospital two or three days before the other one will. And I'm sure there, there's uh, that spiritual component's really important. And then, and then um, recently I heard that Jimmy Carter, who I know it, millions of people have been praying for him and his cancer, is cancer-free today. So oh, that's... Isn't that awesome? What an awesome yeah. report. I love hearing reports like that. 
Yeah, he, he had uh, he had melanoma that had spread to his brain, and uh, today he's cancer free. That is that's great news. I love hearing anything yeah. like that. I do believe that we have more power than we realize that we can tap into. I think our, our mind is very, very powerful. I also believe that we are spiritual first, having a human experience. And by that, I mean we, we come here, we volunteer to come here uh, to experience these life experiences. And like you're saying, not all life experiences are beautiful. They can be very trying and traumatic. And uh, But yet we come here and volunteer to do that so that we can experience this thing, this beautiful thing we call life. And um, the older I become, uh, the more I believe I understand how powerful we, how powerful we truly are. And when we, when we operate more from the spiritual place, of, like, I want to overcome today, or there's something that is blocking me physically, uh, whether it be a disease or um, or someone at the job or someone we're in a relationship with, uh, I believe that we have the power to choose. You know, we have that free will to choose. You know, I want to be a success in this today, or we can keep the mindset of, like, well, you know, I tried yesterday, so I probably won't. It probably won't happen again today. I mean, I believe that we have the power to overcome or to fail, and we choose mm-hmm. that. So, how, how would you, in your way of thinking, how do you see love and prayer interrelating? Uh, very intimately. Um, I believe the source we all come from is pure love, pure holy divine love. And, and when people pray... Yeah, when when people pray for themselves for something that they want, is it different than when they pray for uh, the, the healing or the well-being of others? No, I believe it's it's just pure love that they have for life. Life is a gift. Love is the greatest gift of all, and so I think they're one. I believe love is is what we came here to do to love, and to be loved. And that's like the greatest, greatest lesson that I'm learning in life. Mm. That, you know, when people, um, I'll just use this term, when people sin against us, when people do us wrong, the higher road will always be to consider every angle of where this person's coming from and why they may have reacted that way, which puts us back in that place of divine love to forgive them to continue to love them no matter what they've done and how many times they've done it. And um, it's just that, that beautiful, never-ending circle of love and life. You know, we those who walk in more in divine love understand what I'm talking about. Uh, do we like the things that are going on in this world? No, we do not. Uh, but can we stop it? No, we cannot. But can we love and forgive and, and pray uh, for a better kingdom to come, yes, and I believe that is also our purpose, to mm. be the the beings of love that we were created to be, to bring that sooner and quicker into existence. Some of the media these days are, oh, there were some headlines the last few days after that uh, last 
shooting in California that were saying things like, God is not enough, God can't fix this, prayer is not enough. Uh, I can't accept that myself, but I thought I'd get you to comment on it, too. Um, well, I certainly don't agree with that, and there's a lot of power in agreement. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, I would think that everyone has the free will to think what they want. I mean, like I said, we're divine beings. We're we're spiritual, um, mind, body, spirit. We we have our own minds to think what we want. We have the choice, the free will to think what we want to think. What I think is missing is that this energy source that we come from is so powerful that we we really cannot comprehend it until we actually stop resisting it. I believe that we're here to be instruments of healing, truly, um, and that collectively, by us thinking the kind of thoughts that is going to bring peace and healing and love, by collectively thinking that way, we can we can bring in a, a better life, a better kingdom. That's the word I, I use all the time. Uh, a kingdom of love where there is no pain, where there is no death, where there is no disease, that it's perfect, the way it was meant to be. And yes. collectively, I believe that we can, we can bring that up. I believe that's why we're here, to bring that to fruition. And so all the things that are happening now, to me, are just really gearing up for that to happen. It's, um, I believe the great Holy Spirit, the great Creator, I call Him Yahweh, uh, who eternally loves us forever and ever, yet we have the choice to love Him or not, uh, calls us to be one with Him, calls us to be one with one another, uh, to basically bring back the Garden of Eden uh, situation that He wanted us to have from the beginning, a, relation, a relationship so close to each yeah. other where we truly are a brother and sister's keeper, where we care. Um, so I just think that we all should be focused uh, mentally and prayerfully uh, on being instruments of peace ourselves and trying to bring love and peace every chance, every opportunity we can daily to one another. Let me ask you a question about time. Um, your Your book titled Now is Your Time, uh, tells us basically to seize the day, to not waste time, to embrace the now. And when God told Moses in the, in Genesis, um, his name was I am, in the Hebrew it, as I understand it, it combines past, present, and future into one. And do you think living in the now brings us closer to God? Absolutely. You know, we have this little saying here on earth, there's no time like the present. Um, really, when I guess back in uh, the, uh, the late 1990s, early 2000, I think it was in the year 2000, um, a thought came to my head, and it said to me, the thought said to me, if God had a watch, what would it look like? And I, I just immediately answered and said, well, it wouldn't have hands, and it wouldn't have numbers, it would just say now. Because really, that's all that we have. We are not promised this afternoon, this evening, tomorrow morning. All we have is now. So to me, that having that kind of a mindset is that all I have is now helps me to be less wasteful with my time. Like, what can I do now uh, to bring about this kingdom? What can I do now 
Uh, so my husband knows that I love him eternally, or my children, or my grandchildren. Uh, what can I do now to advance this kingdom? Uh, what can I do now to help my client today? Um, what can I do now to uh, have better health? If we have a now mindset, uh, we procrastinate less. <laughs> but um, <laughs> at the, on, on the you... side of that, it's like if we live in peace and we live in love, when you, when you first started this question, it was about time. I, I believe that his time is always now. Like people that I've studied and read and gone to near-death conferencing and listened to, there is no time on the other side like we have here. So it's, it's a timeless time, and everything is present. So I like that idea. I like yes. that we are not limited in any way. We really aren't there or here. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was going to say, isn't it interesting that, that, for instance, someone on the other side, like your, like your mom and your sister, could track us in time? We're living mm-hmm. in time. They're not living in time, uh, and be there at the right time when you need them. Oh yes. Well, I believe again that. Um, my creator's time is perfect. His, his timing is perfect. Um, there's, when, when we think about living in the now, there's a sense of urgency, correct? Like if I said to you, Lee, if you knew you were going to die three days from now, what would your plan be for the next three days? You would certainly be putting your house in order. You would certainly be putting your priorities in order. You would definitely not be putting off anything that you've been thinking about doing. You would do it now. And and so on the flip side of that, I think living in a place of love and peace and just receiving daily on a daily basis, moment to moment, of uh, I'm grateful to be alive. Oh, I'm so grateful. I know when I got out of that hospital, I had to leave on oxygen. And so my breath became very precious. When, we, when we're losing breath, breath becomes very precious. And so... It's kind of like living a life of great gratitude and, and being thankful and choosing joy over depression, choosing uh, to accept the way things are, uh, kind of like the serenity prayer, you know, help me to change the things that I can and help me to accept things that I can. Uh, it's just a more peaceful, loving, just a more garden-like life. Uh, you know, Did- it's, it's, it's beautiful. Did your illness and your NDE uh, change your attitude toward life? I think it does. Um, I went to an IAN's, um conference I got to go this year in San Antonio where I actually had my near-death experience, but that was precious to me. They talked a lot about uh, near-death experiences are like, um, they call them um, like rites of passage. And it's so funny because when my mother passed away, I, I, I was just in grief, as most people are when their mothers passed away. Mm-hmm. And I was laying in bed and praying for God to give me peace about it. And the vision that I received was my mother in a beautiful gown dancing, like half awake, half asleep kind of a vision. You're going to sleep, you're half awake, half asleep like a little dream or a little vision. And that gave me so much peace because in this vision, she was young, she was beautiful, and she was happy. And so getting that kind of a 
God, you know, just gave me the peace that I was needing to get through that horrific moment. Um, I forgot the question. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I was asking if, if your experience had changed your outlook on life, but yes. let me, let me go on to the, we're just about out of time. Um, okay. what motivated you to write your little book and, uh, how can, how can listeners get a copy of it? Well, it's on Amazon. Um, they offer it on Kindle for like two ninety nine. So it's on Amazon. You can get it that way. The title is Now is Your Time. It's your turn. It's your time. Um, it's very small, and so it takes probably about an hour to read it. Um, I'm just hoping that through writing my experience, people can have hope that if they're facing the valley of the shadow of death, not to fear it, because in the scriptures it talks about, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. The, the whole message is, is that we're never alone. Even when we feel the most alone, we are never alone. I believe that we are in great company. I believe in the cloud of witnesses. If we had more time, I'd speak so much more about my experience in Israel. But like our parents and those that have gone on before us, I believe that they are in the presence of complete knowledge and understanding, and there's no sense of timing. And so, like, even though we are not with them in a physical sense, spiritually, we are all divinely connected, and they're, like, still in our lives. And if you spoke to many, many people, they would, they would confirm what I'm saying uh, at certain times of the day. Um, you know, they might have special knowings that, oh, uh-oh, uh, Rose is here again today with me. You know, it's yes. like there's just knowing. And so I hope that answers your question. I just wanted people it, oh, it, to it does. hear Deborah. my <laughs> Thank you. Um, we are out of time, but I want to thank okay. Devorah Power thank for you. sharing your story of illness and healing, uh, of being in the now. Uh, how it affected you and your thinking and about the urgency of life. And if you'd like to listen to this show again or any other of our previous programs, please visit our website at nderadio.org. And for more information about IANS, please visit that website at iands.org. This is Lee Whitting saying thanks for listening. <laughs>